every time before I teach, I often ask that I'm going to pray over our time, and I'm going to ask that you pray for me. So let's go take a quick moment of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you do. God, we thank you for all these people in this room. We thank you that yesterday we got to celebrate your birth, and today we get to reflect on it. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would come into this room today and that it would do what it can to speak in the lives of each of us. And in the text that we open up today, that you would allow it to be what it is, and that your word would be sharper than any two-edged sword and cut to the very marrow of us and speak truth to us individually. Please bless our time today. Help us to be effective members for your church. And we ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. Awesome. Well, Uh, Today, I want to talk to you about the Bible. When I have the opportunity to teach, I often take time to kind of talk about the healthy habits that we do as believers, kind of covered salvation, our commitment in Christ, what faith looks like. And today, I want to talk about the Bible and the importance of it. Um, Part of the reason is because in Ephesians 4, uh, we're charged as pastors to help to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So I'm supposed to be helping to make sure you're equipped with all the tools you need to go out and be helpful to everybody else around us. And the other thing is, is I, I really appreciate times where we work through something and I'm reminded and I'm affirmed about what we believe. And it kind of gives me this breath of, we're on the right track. And so whether it be an equipping for you today or a breath of fresh air, if we're on the right track, that's kind of what I want to accomplish for us today. Because one, it's not lost on me the fact that you guys are at a Bible-teaching church. I mean, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse every week. And so, you know, I'm, I get the fact that you understand the importance of it, and, and I, I really understand the fact that it's the day after Christmas, and you chose to be here. You know, I mean, if anybody's going to think the Bible's really important, it's definitely you guys. But I'm going to let you know, not everybody has that same understanding. You know, there was actually a survey conducted And it said that 82% of Christians only open their Bible on Sunday morning. 82% of those that profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior only open their Bible on Sunday morning. And I'm going to guess that they're supposing that the words are probably in the worship or in the teaching, and that's why they're opening the Bibles. So there's some things for us to know and do to be solid believers, for us to help equip those. Because Our responsibility as believers is to help all people grow up in all the aspects of their faith in God. And so this is part of your responsibility too. And so I really want us to help have a solid understanding of what the Bible is so you feel like you can go out and you can speak to your family, you can speak to your friends, you can speak to your your neighborhood about what the Scripture says. And so today I call this a good reminder. So we're going to start off with a simple Uh, point, and I'm going to ask you to write this down. Spiritual growth is attached to God's Word. Spiritual growth is attached to God's Word. We find this principle in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. It's on your outline, and anytime I elongate a word, when I say it, I want you to underline. So, like newborn babies long for pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. 
I have a good understanding of this text much better because recently, my family, we welcomed our newborn into the world. Actually, I have a picture for you guys because I'm a proud dad, so <laughs> that's, that's Harbor. I know, she's adorable. Stop it. Gosh. But you know what's funny? Harbor doesn't have to, or I don't have to tell Harbor when it's time to eat. I don't have to go, hey, Harbor, it's time to feed. You need to feed. And it just kind of comes naturally to her. And actually, it's so natural to her about the times that she needs to feed is that if I miss the time, she has an alarm to let me know that it's time to feed. And what's great is Peter here in the text is relating to us as believers, and he's saying the same way that a baby has a natural desire for consuming milk and being nourished is the same way as believers, we have a natural desire for consuming the Word of God. We as believers have this natural hunger within us to read God's Word, to be in God's Word. Now, sometimes believers hit a point of malnutrition. Malnutrition for us as believers is often this point in our walk where we become stagnant and stale. And most of the time, you can already tell the fact that it's taking place because you stopped reading God's Word. I stopped spending time with Him. Or we just couldn't, you know, get, figure out how we'd have enough time to read God's Word. And then all of a sudden, our world starts seeming like it's falling apart. We don't know where our relationship with God got this far away. But that's because we are naturally designed to be consuming God's Word regularly. That's the way we grow. That's the way we are nourished. A lot of Christians might say things like, well, I'm already saved. I've read the Bible. I get the story, right? Let me change that point of view for you. Because a lot of that is a lot based on obligation of text. You feel that you have to get into God's Word, so you spend time in it. But it's not about an obligation for us. It's an opportunity for God to speak to us every single day. And so what we want to do is we want to see the Bible in a different light. What we want to do is we want to look at the actual thing that God is trying to accomplish, and what he's actually trying to accomplish is he's revealing himself to us. The point of the text isn't the fact that this is how you get saved, and so you check these boxes, and now that I'm saved, I don't have to read the Bible anymore. The point of the text is for God to reveal himself to us. Notice on your outline, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it said, but as many received him to them, God, even those who believe in his name. The idea is that if they had to receive him, he did something prior to that that revealed to them the need to receive him. That is how we see the Bible. It is him revealing himself. So write this down. God is working to reveal himself. God is working to reveal himself. So if we approach the Bible with this different mentality of God is revealing something to me, God is working to show me something. It's not about an obligation. Each time we're in the text, it's an opportunity. And so what we start doing is rather than reading for quantity and trying to burn through the Bible and read through the whole thing, we read for quality. So it doesn't matter if you read 10 verses, you read 10 minutes, you read 10 chapters. 
It's about God showing you something. It's about you walking away from your experience going, wow, thank you, God. This is a good reminder or way for us to think about it. Write this down. Christianity is not about how you mark your Bible, but how your Bible marks you. Christianity is not about how you mark your Bible, but your Bible marks you. We're going to expound on all of this and what we understand in the Bible in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, a couple of background pieces for this text. This is Peter's second letter, and that's why it's called 2 Peter. And uh, he's writing it to believers. Uh, something really important to know, this is at the end of his ministry. It's close to his death. And as he's writing these things to these believers, he's saying, hey, a lot of this stuff you know, but I'm going to remind you because it's a good reminder. And so if he's talking to all these believers about a good reminder when it comes to understanding Scripture, it's a good reminder for us. So we're going to jump in. All right, so 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, and it says, For we do not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You see, at Peter's time, a lot of things were flying around, a lot of tales, fables, a lot of things about Jesus that never took place. They were like, well, he didn't die, he didn't live, he didn't, all these things. A lot were we here today. And all these tales are going around, and Peter's like, you have to understand, we are eyewitnesses. We literally saw him we saw him do these things. There are more eyewitnesses to be accounted for. And so Peter's trying to give them some assurance about the scripture that they have, about what they've been told. Because when people start to talk about all these things that Jesus didn't do this, Jesus didn't do that, what they're working to do is invalidate God's word, to invalidate the power of the gospel. But we know that the Bible is true because there are eyewitnesses. There is so much study and research in that you can delve in and you'll find testimony and testimony and you can experience so much more reassurance because we have eyewitnesses. But write this down. The Bible is historical and factual. The Bible is historical and factual. Again, you can spend so much time studying on this, but Archaeologists have consistently confirmed the historical and factual accuracy of the Bible time and time again. The Bible has accurately cited cities, governments, festival, places, and people. When archaeologists don't believe it actually took place, the Bible ends up showing them it's true. One of my favorite examples is the Pool of Bethesda. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, we are given this story about Jesus coming to this place of Bethesda, and there's a pool. And the arch architecture around there is given us to the detail of these five porticos where people would lay. And the story goes is that as people would see the water stir or bubble, depending on your text, a person with an infirmity could come in and they would be healed as they approached the water. Sounds mythical, I know. But the truth is, is that when they went to the place where they thought that the pool of Bethesda was, they were like, it's not here. 
until they dug 40 feet down, and then they found it with the detail of the porticos all around. It's incredible how accurate the Bible is, and we need to spend more time just delving in and discovering these truths because there are people that have questions, and little things like that help to show them and reveal the truth of God's Word. So let's go back to the text. We're going to pick it back up in James, or in, on verse 17 because when he was talking about we were eyewitnesses, he's talking about a very particular time. It's when they saw Jesus being transfigured up on the mountain. This was Peter, James, and John. And it says, for when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Sometimes I put God in a bigger one. This is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. I don't know. This is just for fun. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Write this down. Jesus Christ is revealed through Scripture. Jesus Christ is revealed through Scripture. What we find Peter helping us understand is that the Scriptures help to reveal who Jesus is. As they were witnessing this take place, it was revealing his authority. It was revealing who he was. And as, it was, as they heard it from heaven and it was, they were with him, they were connecting the dots that this is God. And we're going to find that God is in the business of revealing himself. You know, he's not trying to hide himself. That would make the Bible and Christianity a very difficult religion. But the truth is, is he is revealing himself time and time again. From the very beginning, he spoke. He used a method of revelation, like in speaking, to create everything. He's in the business of revealing himself. And what we also see is that the central revelation of the Bible is that Jesus is our Savior. And we see it time and time again, starting from the very beginning, a special verse in Genesis 3.15 all the way through. And Jesus himself helps to point this out to his disciples. Notice on the screens with me. On the screens with me. There we go. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to him them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. So Jesus himself is showing the disciples, this is where I'm at. This is me. This was me. This was me. All through the text. The text is all about how we also see Jesus in this. And this is a great practice for us as we sit and we're having our quiet time and we want to practice. How do we see Jesus? I've got four tips for you real quick, and we're going to write these down. Um, tips on how we can see Jesus being revealed. The first way is that some of the scriptures, they predict Jesus. Some of the scriptures predict Jesus. So example of that would be Isaiah 53. This is one of the most fascinating texts that help to predict Jesus. 
and much of it is about the suffering servant. You may have heard that, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. A method of, of execution being described hundreds of years before it was ever invented. So we have verses that we can read through in the Bible, and those verses are predicting Jesus. So we can see Jesus being revealed that way. Then we see verses in scriptures that point to, to Jesus. The best example, Passover lamb. Jesus is shown as the Passover lamb. He's referred to the fir- a firstborn And so there's different times in the Bible that you can walk through and you can see that this is pointing to Jesus. That's what they're referring to. Then there are scriptures that are just very present, and these scriptures present Jesus. Much of the Gospels, Jesus going, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. These are presenting Jesus. It's very easy and clear for us to see Jesus in this text. And then finally, we have verses that prescribe Jesus. My favorite illustrate, or point on this is Philippians 2, 5. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. So the prescription verses help us to understand how we can be better by seeing Jesus in the passage, looking to him. So all of these things are helping to reveal God, helping to reveal Jesus. This is what the point of the text is supposed to do. So let's pick it back up in verse 19. And then it says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So we also read the Bible because the Bible, we read the Bible because of its prophetic accuracy. Write that down. We read the Bible because of its prophetic accuracy. People, Peter is talking about the fact that we've seen this thing take place. We were witnesses of it. But what makes this very significant is it was the fulfillment. We've seen the Bible fulfilled. And so, because we're seeing the Bible fulfilled, we are more sure. We have assurance about what we're reading, about what we're seeing, because you cannot go all the way back, start trying to get rid of the texts that were written prophetically, and change them so they match Jesus perfectly, you can't do that. That's why we are more sure about what we have. And so Peter is helping them understand this is what God was intending to do. He was showing us that he is God. He says it in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. On your outline with me, look at this. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So God does something impossible. Before anything has taken place, he declares this is how it will be. 
And then we see that play out all throughout the text. The best assurances we have of this is the prophetic verses concerning Jesus Christ. Now, there's about 332 that have, of those prophetic verses that have been fulfilled by Jesus perfectly. 332 prophetic verses completely fulfilled by Jesus. And this is so that we can have this experience and have a great understanding of what's taking place. And because we see all these perfect prophecies being fulfilled, we have this assurance. We are more sure. This is also one of the reasons why here at Calvary, we love end time stuff. Pastor Dan often does a lot of prophetic topics, and it's because we are living in some fascinating times. Um, We are literally seeing scriptures being fulfilled before our eyes. And so as the world is falling apart, as we do these studies, we see the fact that it's just falling into place. It's exactly what God said it was going to do right from the beginning before it took place. And so we have these things as assurances for us. But the Bible also reveals truth to us. And so let's pick back up in verse 19. I want to I help unpack some of this. We saw the fact that it was saying, pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, when we read God's word, we need to make sure that sometimes we aren't disconnected from it because we're a couple thousand years removed from, from some of the texts being written. And so there are sometimes we need to place ourselves back into that time to understand maybe the intensity of it, right? As an example, a lamp shining in a dark place. We don't really understand how difficult light is anymore. Back then, I mean, like, I'm not a camper, but I know that there are people that camp and they enjoy it, and they like to make their own fire and everything like that. I enjoy watching the people do that, so I don't have to go through all that. But you see these guys on these survival shows, and they, some guys have the flint, and they can strike, and they can make fire, and they make light, and it's pretty good. Other guys are trying to tough it out, and they got the bow thing, and they're like trying to make fire, and eight hours later, they get a spark, right? Like, making light back then was rather difficult, right? My five-year-old now walks into a room, and he says to the smart device, turn on the light, and the light turns on. It's easy for him, right? We can't connect the fact that when we pay attention to light, it's easy. We need to connect the fact that paying attention to light was rather difficult. It was very intense. When they had no light, they were stalled in where they wanted to go. They stood still because if they were trying to navigate in a dark place, they were going to hurt themselves. They were not going to get where they needed to go. And so when he says, pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place, you can pick up more on the intensity of what he's actually saying. Like, yes, let's, let's hold close to this. And so when he correlates that to God's word, he's saying, pay attention to this. Pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Use this closely so you can navigate what's going on around us. And he says, do this until we see the morning star rises in your hearts. And the idea is he's saying it's the day morning star, right? Because there's a term that's used for Satan that's the morning star. This is not it. This is a brighter morning star. This is the day. And so he's talking about Jesus Christ 
the morning star returning. And so when we pay attention to this light in the darkness as it navigates us, and we do that until we see the truth of Jesus Christ rise before all of us on his return, on his truth acknowledging in our hearts. So we navigate that way. And I love the fact that the Bible can help us navigate. You know, look at what the psalmist said on your outline, Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God guides us. It is what we use. And so look at this. Write this down on your outline. The word of God is revealing truth to us individually. The word of God is revealing truth to us individually. I love the fact that Pastor Dan will be up here on some Sundays teaching and he does this thing where he's uh, talking on a topic and he's using a verse. And because he's used this verse, this family over there, they're like, we need to reconcile our marriage. And this person over in this area, they're like, I need to change my life. This person over there is like, I need to accept Jesus as my savior. This person over there is like, I need to start serving. Same verse, different people, different outcomes. Because the word of God does something in conjunction with the Holy Spirit where it's revealing truth to us individually. And so we get to experience this spiritual nature of the text. And so I want to walk through some text through to help us understand the spiritual nature. We start picking that up in verse 20. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So we talked about how there were enemies in the church and they were trying to take apart the text, remove Jesus out of it. And they would also say, well, it's like, you know, maybe it was this person's interpretation. It was this person's agenda. It was this. It was this. And what they're trying to do is remove all of it, remove God out of it and say it was just a book written by men. But that's not what it is. It says that it was men moved by God. We, what we have is a text that's given to us by God. And we'll keep going and explaining that. But the idea was, as these men were helping to write down the words, it's because they were being instructed by the Holy Spirit on what to write. When the Old Testament prophets were writing down or saying things, it would make utter sense why it was directed by God, because some of the things that they were directed to do would make no sense whatsoever. But if God was instructing them, it's absolutely clear. And so what we see is that these things were taking place not of human will, and that's great because what we know is we can put more trust in it. We're not manipulated to believe this. We were given this so that we could understand it. Notice the fact that the Holy Spirit was to give them help. They were moved by God, by the Holy Spirit. We ourselves are given this same ability to, ha to help understand the Bible. Notice on your outline, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said. 
So the Holy Spirit was helping the disciples compose what was the New Testament. But what's great about this, too, is that the Holy Spirit can help us. Write this down. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the Bible. So what I often will do as I'm approaching my time reading God's Word is I approach it with anticipation. I anticipate that the Holy Spirit's going to help me understand the text that I'm going through. You yourselves can approach with the same thing. God, thank you so much for this time to read God's Word. I ask that you would allow the Holy Spirit to do what He does and help me understand this text and anticipate that He will. That's His job. So as men moved by God, by the Holy Spirit, Paul's going to add some more clarity about this, how the men were moved as God spoke. So we pick up on your outline in 2 Timothy. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So there's something significant about the Bible, and it's that we believe that it is inspired, right? Now, a lot of Christians get this terminology wrong because what they think of is inspirational, right? Like the Olympics are going on, right? I love it when the runners are going the one-mile race, and it gets so exciting, and you have the one runner taking the lead, and they're coming around the home stretch. Everybody's up in the stands going exciting. You can almost hear chariots of fire playing off in the background, and the person's running and coming across the finish line, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I should start working out, right? <laughs> like, that's inspirational. Like, I was inspired to do that. But what we believe is that the in inspiration originated with God. It is inspired, right? Write this down. The Word of God is inspired concerning its origin. The Word of God is inspired concerning its origin. And so below that on your outline, you see the word inspired there in the Greek, and it's the theonutos. And, it, and the idea is that it's God-breathed. God-breathed. God is right on around the men as they're writing and composing, and God is breathing into them what he wants revealed in the passage. It is God-breathed. And sometimes believers are like, well, like, you know, how do we wrestle with the fact that it's a fallible person? Look, you read the, all of the text, and God's working through fallible people. You know, that's the great thing about the gospel is that he works without fallible people, and he's an overcomer of that. And there'll be non-Christians that'll try to attack that, and you know what? I don't really pursue it. I don't chase down, try to prove everything. In Romans 4, or 3, 4, it says, let God be found true, though every man a liar, that, it's, that you may be justified in your words. God said it's true. I'm going to let him show it's true. I'm going to let them read it, let them disprove it. But if they're going to come to me without the text, I ain't going to worry about it. Let God be found true. Because the Bible is originated by God, 
he moved these men to write the passage. We understand this. Write this down. The Bible is our authority. The Bible is our authority. Now, when it says profitable for teaching, there's a word there, and the word is, um, it, it actually means is better for to say is doctrine, right? This is where we get what we believe as Christians. We get our doctrine. It is from the Bible. It is our authority. We do not turn to anyone else. We do not need anyone else to interpret the Scripture. We let the Scripture speak and say what it says, and then we apply it to our lives. It is our authority. And then it goes on and says it is equipped for every good work. Now, the implication there is that the Bible is all we need, and so the Bible is without error. If the Bible is all we need, we don't have to go outside of it, we don't have to add anything to it, we don't have to pull anything away, then the Bible is written without error. So write this down. Christians believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. Christians believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. So yes, we believe that the Bible is written without error because if you pull anything out, if you remove one thing, the whole thing falls apart. There was a group of Christians that thought it was really um, upsetting to people that Mary was a virgin, so they wanted to remove that. But if you do that, then you remove all the prophecy, you remove Jesus, and you remove the fact that the Bible is without error, you remove its authority, and it falls apart. So the Bible is our authority. We believe in its inerrancy. We believe that God breathed it and is without error. And so all that we can receive is nourishment. That's all we need. I know that there are some Christians out there that often talk about, well, I, I need a little more. I need, I need experiences. I need, I need experiences. The word is just really dry to me sometimes. And so I just, I need some experiences. And I'm going to let you know, Jesus kind of gives us some direction on this. In Luke 16, I'm going to give you the background. I put that, the whole text on, on your outline. But the background is, is that Jesus is giving us this story about a rich man and a poor man. We don't get the rich man's name, but we get the poor man's name. His name is Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus as Jesus' friend, but a different Lazarus. Lazarus would go to the rich man's house, and he would beg for bread outside. And, you know, he would get what he could get, or he wouldn't get anything. And ultimately, both of the men ended up dying. We're given to the next phase of the story where the two men are at different places after death. The rich man is in a place called Hades, and he's being tormented. The poor man is in a place of comfort with Abraham. There is an opportunity for them to have a conversation, even though they're in these two different places. And the rich man says to Abraham, hey, send Lazarus over here because I'm being tormented and I want a drop of water to come onto my tongue. Will you send him? And Abraham goes, no, the chasm's too great. We can't. And then pick up in the verse what happens next. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you may send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said to them, and underline this, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from 
the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. This is Jesus giving us this story. And he said, look, here's the experience of someone, uh, of you witnessing someone rising from the dead. And he takes scripture and elevates it over that. He elevates it over that because scripture makes resurrection important. He elevates it over that because all that we experience from scripture is elevated because scripture makes it important. The reason that you're here today is because scripture makes it important. Our worship that we have is great because scripture makes it great. Our experiences, all that we have, are wrapped up in God's word. And if you think about this, he says, heaven and earth will pass away. These two incredible experiences, but my word will not pass. And even if you think about this, he says, I hold my word higher than my name. This is the way that God considers his scripture. This is the way that we should consider his scripture. And we have the opportunity every time to approach God's word and experience truth each and every time because the Holy Spirit is ready to do that. And it has everything we need inside of it to equip us. Today, if you've never experienced knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that. Because as we talked about, it's not about how we mark our Bibles, but it's how our Bible marks us. It's because that there was one person that was marked before us. And he bore all of our pain and our suffering on the cross and died for us. And he's waiting to show you all that he has done right here in the text. And today you can accept him as Savior but just as simply acknowledging the fact, Jesus, I need you in my life and I want you to be Lord of my life. And if you do that today, just check off on the box on your connection card. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And for the rest of us, let's move forward with great anticipation, being understanding the fact that God is waiting to speak to us. All we have to do is open the word and experience the opportunity he has. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you've done. We thank you for this incredible place. We thank you that we hold your word high here. But God, help us to always be dependent on your word. Help us to stand firm on it. Help us to focus on it, God. Help us to have a better understanding so that we can be available to those around us that don't know what we know. Help us to equip the saints to the work of the ministry. Help us to grow others in all aspects of their faith. Jesus, we love you for coming and dying on the cross for us. We thank you that you're always revealing truth to us. Let us walk forward in the truth that you're showing us today. In your son's precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much.